0: If you weren't here last week, um, I missed. I missed a Sunday for the first time ever when I was uh, on assignment to do something. I was down for the account uh, medically. Uh, I don't know if it's weird to talk about. I had uh, kidney stones, and uh, if you've not experienced that, they're not my favorite anymore. Um, I'll tell you just a little funny story because it ties in. But you know, I woke up in the morning. Uh, early on Saturday and I knew something was wrong but I didn 't know what was wrong and uh, because I'm a man I didn't tell anybody and I just I just went downstairs heated up a hot pack and was like I'll be fine you know I'll just shake it off and after rolling around on the ground for hours maybe close to five hours I finally told my wife I was like uh, something's wrong she's like what are you talking about so we call the ask a nurse and uh, as soon as I tried to use the energy to talk to a, another human I just started vomiting everywhere it was really amazing and the, the ask a nurse, is like, stop talking to me and go to the hospital. And so I went to the hospital, uh, which was funny, and this all ties in, because uh, as I went to the hospital, they were really, I mean, great customer service. Couldn't have been better customer service. But there's something that happens when you go to the hospital. You got to wait, right? Now, waiting especially when you're uncomfortable, can be really, really difficult. So they, they, they were kind. They got me in a wheelchair, which is embarrassing. It took me back. Um, not that wheelchairs are embarrassing, but I'm like, come on, I'm okay. And they're like, no, you're not okay, dude. And so they took me, took me back and uh, laid me down. And then they started asking me questions. And pretty soon, I dial in on what's going on, and I realize I'm going to need some drugs to like get through this, or right? I'm gonna need some pain medication to get through this. But they're like, well, we have to run some tests. I'm like, well, how long is that gonna take? So pretty soon, everybody who walked in, I'm like looking at them with anticipation. Are you the drug person? Are you the drug person? Or who's, who's gonna be the person that gives me the drugs so that I don't feel this anymore? And they gotta take me back and run some tests. And everybody that comes in, it's a running joke. I'm like, are you the drug guy? Nope, you can leave. I don't care what you need, <laughs> right? So finally, the guy comes in, uh, the, the nurse comes in, and he, he's got the, med, the meds for me. And he goes, oh, no one hooked you up to an IV. So I don't know how I'm going to be able to give you the med. I was like, "Stop! Those are the meds. You do not leave the room. I don't care. Shoot them directly into my heart. Whatever you have to do to make this stop." And he looks at me. He goes, "He goes. So what's your pain level?" And I'm like, "Oh, you know, seven. Because I'm, you know, I'm." I'm you know, I'm a man, so I can't say higher than seven because I feel like, you know, that that's the thing. He goes, well, compare it to the worst pain you've ever felt. I'm like, oh, no, no, this is the worst pain I've ever felt. And so, so, so I was like, but I'm assuming there's got to be higher levels of pain than this. But, you know, this is the worst pain I've ever felt up until this point. So he goes, well, hold on a second. And he comes back in. and He goes, OK, we're going to just give you he has a double dose now. He's like, we're just going to give you a shot. And he goes, here's the thing. It's it's going to hurt. And I was like, dude, you can punch me in the face right now. Any different pain will be fine than the pain I'm in right now. Shoot me in the arm with that stuff. And then they finally, you know, they give you the shot, and then you just go to la-la land. And uh, so now now I know I can't preach because I don't have my wits about me anymore after, after that. But here's what I want to talk about. Sometimes waiting can be difficult. None of us enjoy Waiting. None of us really want to do that. And so it's funny because I like kind of breaking down words. And so I was looking for like, what is it really like the definition of to wait? It just means to remain inactive or in a state of repose as until something expected happens. Now, I looked at that and I was like, that's cool. But what does repose mean? And so repose means to lie or to be at rest as from work or activity, et cetera, or to lie dead. And I was like, that's how I feel about waiting right? When I'm waiting, I feel like I'm dying. And, and we all feel that way. None of us enjoy waiting. It's just something we, it's like, I, there were some moments where I was like, I'd rather be dead. And uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pretty amazing. But, but few things make us as irritated as having to wait. None of us enjoy it. Think about this. How many of you volunteer to drive down Meridian at lunchtime? <laughs> right? None of you want to do that. Or five o'clock, you pick the time. Why? Because waiting brings out something in us that we don't like to meet that person who's stuck in traffic, who's waiting. I don't even want to know that version of myself. Have you ever waited in line at a theme park? Those can be the worst. You want to know the worst line I ever waited in? It was in excess of two hours because it it was at Disneyland. And here's the thing. We weren't waiting for a ride. We were waiting for a picture with Minnie Mouse. Do you want to know the levels of... Pain that went through this daddy's heart and mind as I'm watching my little girl. Minnie went on lunch break and we couldn't leave because we couldn't leave our spot in mind, or my little three year old at the time would have just melted down. So we stayed in Minnie's little house for like an hour waiting for her to come back from lunch. It was the worst. But waiting, it brings out sometimes the worst in us. Here's the funny thing the technology of this age has created a generation who doesn't know how to wait. We don't know how to wait. Everything that we have developed for our civilization has been to help us have things quicker and sooner. We cannot handle waiting. It's funny, on Saturday, uh, I was here and uh, I had to email myself something, and the internet was down for like five minutes. And you should have seen me get so frustrated. We're paying for this internet. Why isn't the internet working? I'm, why? I need to send this email so I could leave. And it was like five minutes, and all the worst things in me came out. And it was like, hey, Mike, can you wait a second? There's, there's mystical forces bouncing off satellites in outer space that are connecting to your little laptop. It might take a second today for that to happen. I'm like, I don't want to wait. But that happens. Everyone's like, hey, you were grumpy. I was like, huh, I had a rough week. <laughs> You'd be grumpy too. <laughs> but we all get there. So I'll, I'll be transparent so that you can all join that. Here's the thing. Sometimes waiting isn't always about something that's never going to happen. It's about something that's going to happen eventually. Every child every child learns this, and you know this. Every child learns the difference between no and not yet. Every child has to learn the difference between no and not yet. If you have kids or you've been around kids, you know that when they ask for something and the answer is not yet, they interpret that as a no. If you say, hey, here's, here's the one that happens in every household all the time. Hey, can I have a snack? All right, ready for that conversation? And it's, okay, but not yet. Boom, here comes the frustration, right? Because not yet is a no. We interpret not yet as a no. We do that in our lives. Every child has to learn that sometimes delayed gratification is still gonna happen. How many times, I do not even know, go on the road with my wife in here. Okay, How, so many times where I say not yet and then you get a reaction and now it's a no, right? I was gonna be nice to you in a second, but since you couldn't handle this moment, and wait through this moment, you're not yet just became a no. That's just daddy's rule, right? But uh, the mom comes in, she's nice still. But every child still has to learn the difference between no and not yet. But here's the problem. Every Christian has to learn that too. Every Christian has to learn that too. In our lives, sometimes we get frustrated because we feel like we can't have something right away, and it feels like a no. No. Sometimes we're asking God, we're expecting something from God. We're hoping for something from God. We're hoping that it happens, and it doesn't happen immediately. And when it doesn't happen immediately, because we've been so trained to expect things to happen immediately, we interpret it not yet as a what? As a no. And then we react as though God has said no to something that maybe in his timing, it's not yet. You see, the inability to wait is the cause of many, many, many problems in our lives. On Saturday, I mentioned I was here early in the morning. Saturday, the roads were pretty icy at about 6.30 in the morning. You know what happens when the roads get icy? People crash their cars. We had a couple in last service who had been in car accidents on Saturday. Not necessarily their fault, but but, but people crash their... You know what happens? It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. It's hard to slow down. It's hard to... And (laughs) here's the thing. I'm a Northern California kid, so I didn't experience... like, Like for me the really really bad weathers if it got below 60 and then we had to put our parkas on, you know, we had to <laughs> we had to get our little toggles and, and zip them all up and you know, we had to, we had to really take care of it. It was 60 degrees out there, man. But I spent some time in Spokane. And after about 8 years in Spokane, I understood something about when the weather cuz Spokane the snow comes and visits for a little while, right? And people still get things done. They still get groceries. They don't close the schools for a month. They go to school right? People go to church on Sunday when the weather's bad. It's wild. How do they do that? Oh, they slow down. They give themselves some more time. They plan a little bit ahead and they just expect we're all going to be a little bit late. So many of our frustrations and so many of our problems in our lives come from not being able to wait. You know, an inability to wait, I believe, is the primary. It's almost the only, but there's some exceptions, cause of debt in our lives. We have a generation that's indebted at a higher level than ever before in history. Why? Because we don't know how to wait. We can't delay gratification. So someone convinces us that we can have what we want now. And we're like in that, in that mindset. What do we want? More stuff. When do we want it? Now. And we just, yeah, give us more stuff. Give it to us now. And because we have no ability to delay that gratification, we don't know how to wait. We become enslaved. It's true. As a matter of fact, you know, I didn't do all the announcements this service. I kind of forgot. I just kept on running. <laughs> That's great. One of the things that we're going to do next February is a uh, uh, Dave Ramsey class so that we can help some of us that are interested in kind of getting our financial stuff and our, our financial world together because we just care about that. We want people to be free. So many social problems because we don't know how to wait. For years, 15 years I did student ministries. You know one of the hardest conversations to explain to a young person why is it important to get to wait to get married? Why is it important to keep themselves pure and wait? Having those conversations have gotten harder and harder and harder and harder over the years. Because why? Why is it important? I want, I want, I mean, I love them. I want it. I want it now. I want to grow up now. I want independence now. I want it now. Working with families people trying to put their lives together, going through the process of healing broken relationships. And, and what is the, one of the big, I just deserve, I want to be happier, and I want it now. We watch marriages and relationships and friendships and, and families fall apart. Why? Because we have no comprehension of delayed gratification. We should be as happy as possible, and we should be it now. Waiting is difficult. Ever been waiting on God? feel like God gave you a promise, spoke a word, gave you something, breathed some, something into your heart, a dream into your life, and then it doesn't happen right away? Are you serious, God? I want it now. It's funny I, that I was thinking about, I'm not a gardener, but, I, but it's just maybe 80, 100 years ago, it was normal to expect to wait a little bit longer for things. We just understood we had to wait. It took time. I don't throw seed out and then come back tomorrow and be like, where's my carrots? It takes a little bit of time for some things to happen. Oftentimes, the promise of God comes, and then there's the process of God until it's ready to happen. And today, we're gonna tie that into some of the Easter story, because here's the thing no is not the same as not yet. We have to remember that. Timing matters timing matters. In fact, Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes. I love this translation, uh, uh, how it words this, uh, chapter three, verse 11. It says, God has given them a desire to know the future. Let's pause right there. How many of you have a desire to know the future? To know what's going to happen, yeah, that's from God. That's in us. We all want to know what's going to happen. We all want to know how's this going to work out. What are we doing in the next season of our life? How's that thing going to happen in that relationship? How is how is the financial thing going to happen? When's the job going to open? How's God going to provide? Just tell me the answer. I want to know. Then he goes on to say, "He, talking about God, does everything just right and on time." Ooh, he does everything just right. And on time. He doesn't do everything just right and right away. That would be helpful for my personality. But he does it just right, and he does it right on time. Now, here's the hard thing. We all believe that until it's us that are waiting. We believe that in theory when we say, oh, yeah, yeah, God does everything just right and right on time. That's awesome. That sounds great. Put it on a bumper sticker. Great. And then your job goes away. Your relationship falls apart. Your health has a concern or an issue. Then it's, wait a second, God. Not just right on your time. How about right on my time? And then I love this. But people can never completely understand what he's doing. How true is that? We never completely understand what he's doing. Look back. If you think back five, 10 years ago, what the biggest crisis that you were walking through in that moment, and in the moment, you had no clue what God was doing. There was a relationship, and you were hoping that it was going to go down a certain path, and it didn't go down that path, and you're like, why didn't it happen? And you were frustrated, and now you look back, and you're like, oh, God, thank you that that didn't happen. Thank you that it didn't go. Thank you that I didn't take that job. Thank you that that, that, that opportunity passed me by that I thought was the dream opportunity because the thing you had for me was so much better. But in the moment, we can never completely understand what he's doing. It leaves us frustrated. It leaves us stuck. We know God's just in the right time, but we just don't understand what he's doing. The Christmas story brings so much of this out. I love how the Christmas story just connects us to God's timing. The Christmas story, I mean, it starts with the creation of time, but I want to take us back uh, to to Isaiah for just a moment, because in a moment, we're going to be in Luke chapter two, and we're going to look at some characters from the Christmas story that we don't always look at. But in Isaiah chapter nine, I got to tell you this story first because it illustrates how difficult it can be to wait on a promise. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah prophesies this, and we know this. We read this at Christmas. It's powerful. It's amazing. He says this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says, For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He says his government is going to come and there's going to be no end. There's going to be peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, this is incredible. This is an amazing promise. This is 2,700 years ago, by the way. 2,700 years ago. First of all, just get your mind around for a second how incredible it is that we have the words of Isaiah that were spoken to him under the Holy Spirit's compulsion. 2,700 years later, we're still looking at these promises and how they came true. That's pretty incredible. Let's just enjoy that for a second. But here's what's insane. By the time we get to the Christmas story, it's 700 years after this. Now, why is that significant? Well, because Isaiah... Didn't experience this incredible promise that he wrote down. And in Isaiah's time, it would have been amazing to experience that. In Isaiah's time, uh, Israel was conquered. The Assyrians conquered them. He was actually taken into captivity. And uh, he, because he was Isaiah and he couldn't keep his mouth shut and talking about God, he actually uh, was kind of like a rebel rouser in a way that caused the peasants, the other peasants that had been captured by this army, to kind of turn and, 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 uh, and not be submitted to their authorities. So they ended up martyring Isaiah. They killed him. You know how they killed him? History tells us they sawed him in half. Yeah, Awesome. That's the guy who said of his kingdom, there will be no end. The government will be on his shoulders. There's going to be a child who's going to be given to us. He's going to be the prince of peace, mighty God. He's going to be a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father. And you know how his story ends? Not pretty. And then 700 years later, we're still waiting for that promise. Pretty. Pretty insane as we walk forward. And I love this, that, that, that faith is often tied to promises that we're still waiting for. I mean, Hebrews chapter 11 is filled of all the heroes of the faith, but when, uh, when it kind of comes to the end of the, of the list, uh, I love the author. He says this, he says uh, 11 chapter 13, uh, chapter 11 verse 13, he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Think about that for a second. All these people were still living by faith. They were still living, waiting for promises, and they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They admitted that this season, while they were on earth, they were just here for a season. This wasn't home. Promises were coming, and they were coming, whether it happened while I was on this side of heaven or the other side of heaven. Wait, who are we talking about here? Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to Moses, Gideon, David, Samuel, the prophets. All throughout this book, folks that went face to face with God before they saw the end of all their promises come true. Did they happen? Certainly they happened. Did they happen in the timing? Not in the timing that they might have thought, but it's hard for us to understand God's timing sometimes. They lived by faith, and when they died, They were standing in hope. They were standing in hope. Here's the problem. When things don't happen in the timing we want, sometimes it can get into our hearts and cause us some really big stress. I like the way Proverbs says it. Proverbs chapter, I think it's 13. says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Sometimes when we're hoping for a promise, when we're hoping for something that God's, we know God wants to do, and it doesn't happen in the timing that we want, it can get into our hearts. Another version says it this way. When hope is crushed, the heart is crushed. When hope is crushed, the heart is crushed. Last translation I like it says it this way Unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick. Ever experienced some heart sickness? Waiting on things. So this idea that 700 years before our story takes place, there was a promise. And that Isaiah died waiting in that promise. And many people died waiting for that promise. Takes us fast forward to these two individuals that we're going to talk today about in Luke chapter 2. They're battling loneliness and potentially lost hope all during that first Christmas. So I'm in Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 22 you got to remember who Luke is. Luke's the doctor, and he's compiled his story by interviewing people who were there. Most likely, we believe that Luke spent significant amount of time with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So a lot of the story that we get here is likely given to Luke by Mary from her perspective, and Luke writes it down and uh, keeps it for all of us. And so in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, um, which isn't up there, uh, just lets us know that Jesus has hit eight days old and been circumcised now. Um, He's a little baby. He's on the scene. And uh, I read somewhere that the circumcision was like the first time that he experienced pain for all of us, which is kind of cool. There's maybe a sermon in there somewhere, but I just couldn't bring myself to preach on his circumcision for a whole (laughs) whole week. So some some year when I'm braver and wiser, we'll go in there. (laughs) But Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. It says when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph took Mary, Joseph and Mary took him, which is Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, in their culture, they're still living under Mosaic law, and in their culture, when a woman had a firstborn son, for about 33 days, she was considered uh, impure. Now, it's not like a negative thing. It was just they kept her outside of the camp. They didn't want anybody to get contaminated, her to get contaminated, and that child, they kind of kept separated, and she couldn't participate in temple activities or do any of those things until the time of purification was done. And so we know that Jesus is about 40 days old at this point, and uh, so what would happen, now, according to the law, Moses, this is actually really cool stuff. Um, If you remember, there's a really significant thing about a firstborn all the way back to Egypt and the Exodus. And basically after that, God's like, all the firstborn men and animals belong to me. And so every time there's a firstborn, you do a sacrifice to kind of present that firstborn to the Lord. It's kind of like a baby dedication for that firstborn son. Now in their culture, that meant they had to go to the closest temple. And they had to perform a ritual. What they would normally do is bring a lamb and that lamb would be slaughtered as a sacrifice and they would present the child to the Lord. Now, if you were poor, they made a provision for you if you couldn't afford a lamb and you could bring two doves or two pigeons And so that's where we're at in the story. That's what they're doing. They are observing the law. Joseph is a righteous Jew, and he's following the customs of his people. They've had Jesus uh, circumcised, and now it's time to take him to the temple because it's been 33 days, all right? Um, So where am I at here? To present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So it's that setting apart, saying, hey, this is we're dedicating him to God. Verse 24. And to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves are two young pigeons. Now, this is significant because it lets us know right off the bat that they are not a couple that is of means. Because if they had any financial ability to provide a lamb, they were obligated to do so. They could not. Why is that important? Well, how interesting is it that Jesus, like if if you were God and you were sending your son into the earth, wouldn't you pick a family that had everything possible to offer them advantageously. I don't know if it was me, but I probably pick, I don't know, Bill Gates, somewhere like that. But God didn't look for that. What was he looking at? He was looking at hearts. He was looking at the inside. He's still looking at the inside. So often I think we think that somehow because we're in the two pigeon land and not in a lamb land, that somehow we're less in the eyes of God. And that is not Ever the case. God's always in the heart evaluation business. All right, that's free. Um, But So they only had two young pigeons. Now, verse 25, we're going to meet our guy here. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, there's so much right there we need to stop, or the Lord's Messiah. We need to stop for just a second. First of all, there's a guy named Simeon. We recognize that. Here's some things we don't know and assume. One is we don't know how old he is. Now, church history tells us he's probably pretty old. Some of the older accounts attribute him to being as much as 100 years old at this point. But the scriptures doesn't tell us that. We're just left to interpret that. It does tell us how he thinks a little bit, because he, in a moment, he's going to sing a worship song, and he sounds a little bit like an old guy. He's a little cranky in there. He's like, all right, you can take me home now, God. That kind of happens in the worship song. And so, so I'm of the mind that he most likely is an aged fellow at this point, uh, but he may not be. We only know that his name is Simeon and that he's there. Likely, he's, a, he's an older dude. We know that. We know he's righteous and devout. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is the consolation of Israel? That's the, same, that's the thing that Isaiah prophesied. To console somebody, is to, right, you console someone through your arms. Oh, it's okay, we got you, you're, you're here, right? The consolation of Israel is that prophecy that Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah is coming to take care of God's people. That's what he's waiting for. He's hoping for that to happen. And it says this, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then I love verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Now, how did it get revealed to him by the Holy Spirit? I wish we knew. Likely, Mary didn't ask him, and that's why we don't know, because Mary's telling the story. He just told Mary, hey, I'm, you know, this is what happened, but Mary doesn't know how he knew. She wasn't there for that part of the story. She's telling Luke, so we didn't make it up. We don't, we just know that he's waiting for it. Now, this is what's crazy. We got to think about this for a second. He gets from the Lord a word that a promise from Isaiah. Now we got to do the math because we just read the story and it's like, oh, okay, this story, then turn the page of this story. It's been 700 years since this promise. 700. That's hard to get my mind around. So I had to go back in time 700 years from now. 700 years from now, we're in the 1300s range. You know what's going on in the 1300s? Did you ever see Braveheart? <laughs> Braveheart is the 1300s, right? William Wallace... That's the 1300s. What else is going on in the 1300s? Uh, the Black Plague wipes out like half of Europe. That's the 1300s. Um, the cannon is invented. And so the first like military battle with cannons, it happens out on sea and it's like the French uh, versus English uh, Navy. And the French Navy gets wiped out by the first kind of cannons being used uh, in military practices that way. That's 700 years ago. The Aztecs are, you know, building temples and ripping out hearts and knocking people down the stairs and all that crap. i like, that's what was going on 700 years ago. So I want you to have a perspective because 700 years ago, it'd be like if there was a promise of God that was spoken 700 years ago and then you woke up and God said, hey, that 700-year-old promise, that's for you. Right? That thing that William Wallace said, <laughs> that's for you. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm making an analogy here. Obviously, it's not clean. But but thats that's how far back. So for him to be waiting on a promise that's 700 years old. I'm sure people were like, dude, we're all waiting on that promise, right? But he's like, no, I'm, I've heard from God. I'm going to see the fruit of that promise. Yeah, we got it, old guy. We, we all think we're going to. No, no, I'm going to see the fruit of that promise. We believe by this point he's probably close to 100 years old, and it still hasn't happened. Verse 27. Um, no, where am I at. Yeah, is that where I'm at? Okay, good. Verse 27. So moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, they're gonna sacrifice the little birds, right? Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Let's take a pause right there. Now, I don't understand the culture here. And I don't know if Simeon's like primary job was baby dedicator guy. But a relatively older gentleman... It doesn't say he works at the temple necessarily either. He's just at church. Now, I don't know any of you that have had little kids, but if you showed up at church and some guy you don't know walked in and was like, oh, give me your baby. (laughs) I don't know what your response would be. I can imagine Mary and Joseph... I know they're culturally a little bit different, but probably a little bit concerned by this whole experience, right? It says he took him in his arms and he praised God and look at what he does. He starts singing a song. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. That's why we believe he was likely pretty old because he's like, I can finally die, right? For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people in Israel. He writes the last, Last Christmas Carol, the last Christmas Carol in the scriptures, anyways. And he says, "I've seen." And it's, uh, to me, I, I get that song that, that is it—the battle hymn of the republic, right? My eyes have seen the glory of the right. It's truth is marching. That's the—that's the melody that I sing that song to in, in my head because he says, "My right." But that's what he does. He gets—he gets like a ba- he's, so. So here comes Mary and Joseph, right? It's been. The baby's about six weeks, right? What, 40 days old, give or take? They bring, they're bringing the baby to the temple. They got a job to do. They got to sacrifice their thing. And here comes this old guy and he's like, give me that baby. And he grabs the baby, picks him up and he starts singing and he starts praising God. I can imagine he's just swinging the baby. He's like, I've seen, I've seen the promise of God. Now I got to tell you a funny story. When we planted the church in Oregon, you plant a church and you just, you know, you get all kinds of fun people and you're hanging out with them and you're just making friends. And we had this guy and he was just one of those wild um, tie-dye Eugene kind of hippie, crazy guys, nicest guy in the world, but uh, no inhibition, uninhibited, right? And he had this thing where he just loved to pray for babies, the problem is he didn't care if he knew the mom. He didn't, care, like, he didn't care if there was any relationship. So one Sunday, Christine's sister has had her first child and has come to church. She's in town visiting. Now, Christine, Christine's sister is uh, not a church person. We'll just say that. But she's coming because that's where we are, and she's bringing the baby, and we're excited. She wants to see the church that we've planted, and she's getting the baby out of the car. Now, some moms are like, please just take my baby so I can get something done, right? Other moms are like, don't touch my baby. So I'll let you guess what category this, this mom was in. And so she's walking in with this baby, and here comes my tie-dye shirt, friend, hang loose, chill. He would say, worship, man, we're just jamming with the lamb. You know, that was his personality. He's just that guy, right? And he walks up to her, and he's like, hey, welcome to Waypoint. She's like, hi. He's like, that's a baby. She's like, yeah. He's like, let me pray for your baby. And he reaches out and just grabs the baby's feet. And he just starts praying. Like She hasn't got all the way out of the car yet. She's not in the building yet. She's not a church person. And here's this guy just coming up, grabbing feet. i just pray everywhere his feet go. We'll be blessed. And he's just praying loud. And, and, and praise the Lord, you know, like we, it was family. So we we're able to say, it's cool. You know, he's not crazy. He's crazy, but he's not like scary crazy. And then I, I had to take him for a while. And I'm like, Fergie, you know, we love you, but come on. We can't, we got, we got, we can't do this. And so anyways, it was just funny. But that's, that's what happens to baby Jesus. That's what happens. Mary just was like, what? You grabbed this baby, you started singing, and he writes a Christmas hymn, and then I love it. I know that it was crazy, because look at their reaction. Verse 33. Je- I, I put it in the message, because it's great. Jesus's father and mother were speechless with surprise at these words. They're like, uh, what are you doing with our kid? <laughs> now, this is insane, because they've talked to angels. So this is, a, this is a supernatural birth. They know something's amazing going on, but I don't think they're expecting at 40 days old Jesus to start impacting other people's lives yet other than theirs. The Christmas story is about right like that. Jesus starts impacting the world. Then I was thinking about this. I was thinking about Simeon. When's the last time that God showed up And you were so excited and you were so grateful that worship just exploded out of you in such a way that people around you were like, what's going on here? (laughs) Something's going on. They were speechless. People who knew God were speechless. Sometimes I think we're waiting on the promises of God and then they show up and we're like, oh, finally. Finally. Finally, God. Finally, got the job. Finally, the relationship seems to be healing. Finally, the prognosis is a little bit better. And we forget to celebrate, to 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 ex- expand out of ourselves. What God has done to declare the goodness of what God. This guy writes a worship song that's recorded two thousand years later when he meets a baby. How cool is that? Verse thirty-four. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Jesus' mother, this child is destined to, sorry, my, my, I gotta read it over here. <laughs> this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Remember, he's got a prophetic gift. He hears from the Lord and the Holy Spirit's on him and he's like, this is, I've read the promises, And so this is the promise, and that's awesome. But it's going to come with some pain for you, Mary. This story is going to get tough. But you are so blessed to get to be a part of that. I love this because here's a guy who's been waiting for his dream. And here's the thing that that really struck me. He didn't get to experience 33-year-old Jesus. Like, 33-year-old Jesus is awesome. We get to see 33-year-old Jesus healing leprosy, raising the dead, Casting out demons, changing culture, talking about love, changing hearts, changing things. He didn't get to experience that. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's been waiting for the Messiah to come and save. And you know what he gets excited about? A baby. There's no indication that he was around 33 years later to get to see the rest of that. What does that mean for us? Sometimes, the promise that God's given to us, we don't get to see the 33-year-old version. We don't get to see the final product of the promise. We might just get a piece of the promise on our journey. We saw Isaiah only got a piece of the promise. All of those guys out of Hebrews 11, those those champions of the faith, they got a piece of the promise and having a piece of the promise was enough for them. They were able to hold on to faith saying, God's got a plan. I might not understand the timing. I might not get to see all of his plan on display while I'm on this side of heaven, but praise the Lord for the part I got to have in it. And they were okay with that. Simeon's okay with that. He's so excited to see the baby. I don't know if it's me, I want to meet 33-year-old Jesus. I want to sit on the side of the hill and I want to wax poetic with him. The baby's cool and all. But, you know, I don't really like holding other people's kids all that much. (laughs) I'm decent, (laughs) Right? That's fine, whatever, right? I'm not doing his diapers, come on. But I want to talk to 33. But he got excited. He was so excited that he praised God. His praise was so powerful that looks what happens here. We meet the next character. Verse 36, there was also a prophetess named Anna. She was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, so we know this. Luke's scientific that way. He's wise and gives the facts. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. Now catch this. Here's Anna. And she, I love this because you're talking to Mary. So Mary knew who else was there. Mary must have talked to Anna. There's the only way that we'd know anything about Anna's story is if Mary talked to her. So in walks Joseph. In walks Mary. Here's baby Jesus. Here's Simeon. Give me that baby. He starts singing, right? And Mary's like, oh, there was someone else there. Let me tell you about Anna. And she just happened to be there at that moment. And let me tell you what I learned about Anna. Anna was from the tribe of Asher, and she was an older woman. Now, why would those details be important? Well, I don't know about you, but I don't know very much about the tribe of Asher. We don't know that many facts about that tribe. That's one of the tribes of Israel, one of the lost tribes. And uh, here's one thing that history tells us about the tribes of Asher. Right This is kind of wild, but it's just true. it's just historical it's not biblical narrative. it's just a historical Jewish tradition that tells us this. The tribe of Asher had historically beautiful women, and here's what we know that the Levites, who were the priestly tribe, were keen on the women of Asher, and oftentimes they married into the priesthood, which is part of why the tribe probably wasn't as large because the Levites were picking off all their women and marrying them. and so we know that Anna fits that tradition because she's a prophetess at the temple and she was married to someone from the temple who's probably a Levite. She was married for seven years and then she was widowed. She's now 84 years old. She's now 84 years old. And listen to what, how she lives her life. She never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now think about that for just a second. Here's a woman, and I love that Mary wants us to know this. She was from a tribe that historically were married into clergy. She was a pastor's wife kind of personality, good woman, but her life didn't go according to plan. She had seven years of marriage and then tragedy. Now, the law was very clear about taking care of widows, but it wasn't always the case. Widows were very, very, very vulnerable at this time. They were absolutely dependent on the care of others. And how did she use her time? Did she get bitter? Did she get frustrated? Her plans didn't go the way that she hoped they would. Is that what happened to her? Absolutely not. Instead, it says she never left the temple. She prayed and she fasted regularly. She sought God regularly. She worshiped night and day. So she's the worship leader at this temple. She's always There's always one walking around just singing praise songs everywhere they go. And she hears something. She hears someone make up a new praise song. My eyes have seen the Savior. Dun, 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 right? Simeon's going crazy, and she hears the worship. She's like, hey, that's me. I worship here. I'm gonna come see what's going on. And so she shows up, and I love it. I love that God's timing is just amazing. It says, uh, coming up to them at that very moment. It says she gave thanks to God. Now think about that for a second. When's the last time? Here's Simeon. When's the last time your blessing, even though it wasn't the full blessing, you were so thankful for your blessing? What God gave you? It spoke into your heart at such a level that it poured out, that your blessing splashed onto somebody else. And here's Anna. She gets. She's in the splash zone. Her life is hard. She's been a widow. She has no property. She has, She's living basically at the temple. She's fasting and worshiping God, but she sees somebody else's blessing and it ignites in her hope too. That's pretty amazing. It says she gave thanks to God and listen to this. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She's the first evangelist for Jesus She's the first one out there telling everybody. So this is what's crazy. When Jesus comes back to Jerusalem, there's gotta be people connected to the temple who remember old grandma Anna talking about meeting a baby Jesus and that he was here on the scene. She sl- laid the seed for the first group of believers to come out of Jerusalem. That's what she did with her life. Why? Because she was willing in the middle of having a broken promise in her life, of having to wait and, have, and not have all of the things that she would hope for. She was willing to remain faithful. She had a heart to worship. She stayed connected And she saw someone else's blessing and it ignited her. When's the last time someone else's blessing ignited you? It didn't turn into jealousy. Come on now. It didn't turn into, oh, woe is me. Look what they are. God's always blessing someone else. She sees someone else's blessing and it ignites her heart. And she made it into the scripture. 2,000 years later, she made that impression on Mary. Mary communicated that to Luke. Luke wrote it down for all of us to know. It's pretty stinking amazing. God's timing is always perfect. So we look at these guys and we think, okay, some of us are in the Simeon land. We're waiting on what seems to be broken promises or unmet promises. God gave us a dream, a mission, a word, and it hasn't happened yet. It's like, God, when are you gonna open the door? When is the job gonna come? When's the healing gonna come? When's that relationship gonna get restored? When am I gonna see the justice that's been denied to me? And we have to remember No is not the same as not yet. And we're hearing not yet as a no. God's like, I got this. Don't worry about it. And you're like, I want a yes. And here's Simeon. Modeling for us, waiting patiently for the promise to come. In that first Christmas story. Remember, Ecclesiastes told us that even though we have a desire to know the future, God does everything just right and on time. And we're never going to be able to completely understand what he's doing. I don't understand what you're doing. Good. You're in good company. We're all in that boat together. But I don't understand. Why do I have to have these troubles? Why do I have to go through this? What is happening here? I love how Peter kind of articulates this. He communicates what it means to walk through this waiting season Verse 7 of 1 Peter 1, he says, These troubles come to prove that your faith is pure. The purity of your faith is worth more than gold, which can be proved to be pure by fire, but will ruin. But the purity of your faith will bring you praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is shown to you. That's funky wording, so let me put it in a different wording. I like this First uh, Peter 1, 7. This is the message version. It's just kind of paraphrased for us to understand. It says, Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, talking about the end times, or the end of your life, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. Wow. Remember those heroes of the faith still waiting for the end of their promise? They got a part of their promise. They didn't get the end of their promise. Did they somehow get shortchanged? No. God said, I wasn't worried about your gold. I wasn't worried about your stuff? I was worried about your heart through the process. How did you how did you hold it together in the process? What came out the fire came of the waiting of the of the suffering of the of the what it took to get through from point A to point B. When all of that happened what was left was who you really are. That's what I was worried about. That's what I was working on. That was the end result I was looking for. All right. So we're waiting on God's promise. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? How are we supposed to act? What are we supposed to do? You turn the page over here in Second Peter. Jesus, uh, Peter gives us a little picture of that. Second uh, Peter one verse three. He says, "His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness." He's saying God's power has given you everything you need to keep living while you're waiting. Verse four. Through these He has given us very great and precious promises. There we go. Promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say God's given you promises and he's giving you everything you need to live for him while you're waiting on those promises. Verse five, Peter says, so how do you do it? For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. See, so he says, start working on your faith. He's like, you're waiting for your promise. Your job in the meantime is just keep working on your faith. You want to work on your faith? Add some more goodness to your life. Do something good that will boost your faith. It will add to your faith. Add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control. Oh, come on, Peter. That's not fun. You want me to learn more about God and then have self-control? He's like, yeah. You're waiting on your promise, so start working on your faith. Your faith and promises are connected. To self-control, add perseverance. And perseverance, add godliness. And to godliness, so be more like God, add brotherly kindness. Go be kind to someone. Go love someone like a brother. Go demonstrate their value to them. Show them how valuable they are to God. And to brotherly love, kindness. And to kindness, love. Wow. Peter's like, that's how you wait. You're frustrated. You're waiting. How do you wait? Go work on your goodness. Add to your faith more kindness. Add to your faith more brotherly love. Go demonstrate that to people. That's what Simeon's doing. He's just chucking along, being that guy at the temple that everyone's like, oh, crazy guy worshiping. That's awesome. He just keeps on going. He's waiting on God's promise. Some of us, maybe we feel like we got the short end of the stick. We're like, hey, we had the promise and it didn't work out. My life fell apart. Something happened that just was unexpected. You're like, Anna, and you're thinking, "Man, did I miss my window? Did I miss God's promise?" What was Anna's job? Stay a worshipper. Stay faithful. Stay close to God. What was the promise that she had? Deuteronomy 31:8. The Lord himself goes before you and be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. What's the promise of God? It's always the presence of God. The promise that he'll be there. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Don't be afraid. God's promises that He'll never leave you. It reminds us that the end result of faithfulness to God is the nearness and the presence of God. Anna gets to experience that. I love how we get frustrated in the waiting. I, I'm going to read you this version. This version of uh, Romans chapter eight because I love the way that it words it. It, it ties uh, Paul's writing to. Uh, to waiting and it compares it to pregnancy. Verse, uh, chapter eight, verse 24, it says, that is why waiting does not diminish us. Do you know that waiting doesn't diminish you? See, we live in a culture that says waiting diminishes us. I don't have something. I'm diminished. You have it, I don't have it, I'm diminished. I'm less. Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh, waiting does not diminish you. It doesn't diminish you any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged. I love this language. We are enlarged in the waiting. He says, sometimes you're pregnant with your dream and it's not ready to come to fruition now. So you are enlarged. There is more of you. You are not less and diminished because your dream hasn't happened yet, because God's word and promise to you hasn't manifested itself on earth yet. It's still in your heart and it's still waiting with expectancy. It says, we, of course, we don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Because we know we're getting close to birth. That's awesome. You're like, ah, I'm tired of waiting. You know, I remember... Our first child, Brayden, uh, there was a little season there where we thought he might come too early. Christine had uh, contractions they are called Braxton Hicks. We actually almost named him Braxton because there were so many of them. And I kept calling him Braxton. And I was like, oh, just name him Braxton, right? That's we were having, whatever those were, right? But, but there's something about like we were excited, but we understood that he needed to wait so that he could be healthy and whole. Our dreams sometimes, come on now, we're just like, oh, we want to rip our dreams out out of process before they're ready. God's like, no, you're enlarged in the process. Waiting doesn't hurt you. Waiting helps you. It's healthy for you. I think sometimes in the midst of all that, we just get frustrated on what to do now. So what do we do now? I'm waiting, but what do I do now? And Peter's like, dude, just keep working on your faith keep growing in goodness, keep growing in brotherly kindness, go love on someone, add some knowledge, keep growing, keep growing. Can you imagine if this Christmas season we spent our energy adding goodness, kindness, self-control, love to our life and demonstrating that to somebody else? Can you imagine the message that would send? Can you imagine if there were things that we couldn't control that that instead of saying, okay, we're gonna get heart sick and just not do that, we're gonna look for opportunities to be a part of the blessing? Can you imagine if someone else's blessing could get us excited enough to just go out and tell everyone, hey, you know what? I may still be walking through the pain, but I saw God show up. I saw God show up in Charlie. Let me tell you what God did for Charlie. It's so amazing. He's so faithful. What's going on in your life? My life's a mess, but I know God has got this. I can celebrate that. I saw part of the promise, and I know if he'll do it for Charlie, he'll do it for me. I'm just still pregnant. It hasn't happened yet. But that's okay. I'm excited. Can you imagine if that was our heart? That's the Christmas story of Simeon and Anna. They've been waiting. And then can you imagine if the blessing and the provision came in a way that wasn't full grown, it was just the baby. If we were able to be excited about that, if we didn't get to see the whole thing, it was like, Hey, there's a dream. And I know the dream is is someday going to be full grown. It's going to look like this. And I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. And here's the seed of it, but it's just a baby. Don't, don't despise that. Celebrate it. This is the first step in God's promise. I'm gonna grab it. I've seen God's promise. I'm gonna dance. I'm gonna pray over those little feet and I'm gonna be so excited. That's what God's doing here on the earth. He's faithful and He's showing up and we can trust Him. It's exciting. But we get frustrated because so many things we can't control happen and we lose it. So here's my prayer for us. My prayer for us is that what comes out of us this season would be the kind of thing that splashed onto someone else and would be healthy and awesome for them. Now, here's the thing. You might not be able to do that for everybody, but could you do it for somebody? Could you do it for one person? For someone that God puts in front of you? Could you say, you know what? I'm gonna exercise my faith. I'm gonna do something good for them. I'm going to exercise my faith. I'm going to do something that's going to demonstrate brotherly kindness for them. I haven't seen my blessing, or you know what? Maybe part of your blessing shows up, and you say, you know what? Instead of being skeptical, saying, "Yeah, God, you gave me this piece, but I really need all of this," I'm just going to celebrate in such a way that the joy of me experiencing this is going to be—it's going to leave other people speechless. They're going to be like, "Uh, dude, that's kind of an overreaction. You don't understand." I can't overreact. I wish I could react more. How faithful is God? We had no idea where this provision was going to come from, and now came provision. How faithful is God? Could you celebrate someone else's victory? That might be hard for you. Could you say, I know I'm waiting on my promise, and you got yours. Dang it. No, you say, what? Maybe I moved one more up in the queue. (laughs) Hurry up, get your promise. I'm going to move up in the queue. Hurry up, get your promise. I'm gonna move up in the queue, right? Because I know my promise is coming. Anna just took the heart of that promise and jumped. She got to be part of all of the Christmas story because of that. Can you imagine if our hearts were like that? Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray with you. God, I'm so incredibly grateful for this season for what you've done. Every time we stop and realize, I just, I've been so struck by the rescue nature of it, that you came for us. You came for me. You looked down from heaven at the fullness of time and said at just the right time. It wasn't during Isaiah's time. It wasn't, that wasn't just the right time. It was that time, Simeon's time. That was the moment where you ignited into history this story. Why? Because you looked outside of time through history and you saw us and you loved us so much that you ignited and instigated a rescue story for each of us. God, I pray for hearts that have been frustrated in the waiting, who have looked at the trouble and looked at the frustration, who have been coached by the world that a not yet is the same as a no. God, would you break that in us? Would you help us, God, to see with hope and faith what you're doing? God, sometimes we're not going to be able to understand it. But even still, we can put our hope and trust in you. God, I pray for those who have felt like their promise got dashed and broken. It's been crumbled. They stepped out and it didn't work. Like Anna and, and, and the dreams they may have had have to look different now. Yeah, there's still a plan, an incredible value there. And you can redeem, and you are in the redemption business, and you can reignite our story. And we can, God, if we keep our hearts right, if we remain worshipers, if we remain in your will, we can experience your blessing, God, here and in eternity. And God, I pray for those promises that we're never gonna get to see. I think about the people who prayed for me who are now on the other side of eternity. They never got to see. God, I'm so grateful that they did. I'm so grateful that they stood in faith for me. I pray that we would stand in faith for others' dreams, that we would believe that you are who you say you are and can do what you'll say you'll do. And we may never see it, but we know your word is true and your promises are yes and amen. So we put our faith in that. I pray this Christmas season, we'd be ambassadors of that kind of hope. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name.